Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's absolutely wonderful to see everybody here this morning. I was counting on my fingers this morning. How many more days till Christmas? Eleven. Eleven slash twelve. We won't get into an argument about it. Eleven slash twelve days till Christmas. Give me a wave if you have completed your Christmas shopping this morning. (laughs) Margaret is a champion. We all... We all long to be like Margaret. Give me a wave if you've done 50% of your Christmas shopping. A few more hands. Give me a wave if you have done 10% or below of your Christmas shopping. Bad, bad. <laughs> Blessings with the shopping, everybody. But this morning, as David has just uh, reminded us, we've been doing our series called Unwrapped, and we've been looking at the three gifts that the wise men bought Jesus. And today, it's my privilege for us to look at that third gift, the gift of frankincense. So we're going to unpack a little bit more what that means. But who were these wise men? What does the Bible say about these wise men? Indeed, what can the history books teach us about these wise men? It's a good place to start. So Tradition would have us believe there were three wise men. But in fact, the Bible doesn't actually tell us how many wise men there actually were. But a little bit of history about these wise men tells us that actually, usually, these wise men travelled in large groups. They would travel in groups together, firstly because they would have to take all their supplies with them, of food, of drink, of gifts, of everything else. So they would need to be quite a few men together to transport their gifts. And also, for security, it was good for them to travel in large groups. So these wise men were usually from the area that we now know as Iraq, Iran, or Saudi. They were coming from that part of the world. And why were they called wise men? Well, these men were believed to be very learned, very clever individuals, hence the word wise. And usually they were astrologers. So they would study the stars, they would study the sky. Hence, when one day they saw this magnificent star in the sky, these wise men, these astrologers knew something is happening. And we've got to find out what exactly is happening. Indeed, we've got to leave our comfort, leave our home, 
maybe leave our wives, maybe our children, maybe our favourite possessions. And we've got to go on a journey to follow that star because that star is so significant, we've got to go follow it because we've got to find out what's going on and what that star actually means. So that's where we're going to jump into the story today. So we're going to be reading from a book called Matthew because it was written by a person called Matthew who helps us to read the exact account of what was happening. So if you have got your Bibles on your phone, on your tablet, feel free to follow. Otherwise, it will be up there on the screen for us. So we're going to go from Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him Bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. So, these wise men have left the comforts of their home, and they've embarked on a journey, not to follow a person, or a sat-nav, or a road map, but to follow a star, to follow a star. Now, the interesting thing is that as we read from the Bible and we take into account different pieces of information, this journey that they embarked on was believed to have been around two years. Two years. These wise men followed the star which took them not to meet a baby in a manger, in a stable, but we'll find out in a moment, to meet a child in a home with his mother, Mary. You see, they went on a journey to worship. Two years 
Let's just pause there for a moment because we can sometimes read over this really quick. The wise men went on a journey. That's great. Get me on to the next bit. But let's think about this. How would you feel if you set out on a journey which lasted for two years? Now, I know when I'm in a car with Dave and three kids, two minutes, two hours is feeling the journey. We went to France this year in July and we travelled for probably the best part of 24 hours. I was a wreck at the end of 24 hours. What would I have been like at the end of a week? A month, a year, two years. A journey to worship of two years. You see, I wonder how they felt during their journey. I wonder if at times it got really difficult. I wonder if at times they thought, you know what? I don't know if this is worth it. We don't even know where this star's taking us. I miss my bed. I miss my house. I miss my favourite food at home. I wonder if they felt like quitting. I wonder if after a year, they felt like, you know what? It's been a bit of an expedition, but it's time to call it a day. It's time to get back to what we know. I wonder if they all made the journey. I wonder if some of them did return home. If some of them did say, I'm done. I can't follow this staff for no much longer. I'm going. But you see, the brilliant thing is, these wise men had a treasure chest. And there were three gifts in that treasure chest. And they knew, we've got to get to the end of this journey. Because we've got three significant gifts to give the newborn king. Aren't you glad they made the journey? Aren't I glad that they went right to the end where they finally found Jesus? You see, this morning, we're not following a star, any of us. You might say, thank goodness for that. But actually, we can all relate to these wise men because each one of us are actually on a journey. That's the journey of our life. We're on a journey, day by day, month by month, year by year. Each one of us are on a journey. Whether we have a faith in Jesus or whether you're here and you don't particularly have a faith in Jesus, we're on a journey. We're on a journey. And maybe sometimes you might feel like quitting. You might feel like, this is too difficult. That situation I'm in, I just feel like quitting. That relationship that I'm working really hard on, I feel like quitting. That thing that God has promised me, but it still hasn't happened, I feel like quitting. Well, maybe this morning, God would want to say to each one of us, hey, don't give up. Don't quit. You're on a journey. But guess what? I'm with you. And I've got good plans for you. 
You see, what's interesting is the wise men left their home. They travelled and eventually they came to the palace of Herod. And they said, King, we'll go to a palace. Makes sense. No newborn king at the palace. You know what they could have done at the palace? They could have thought, we're settling down here. We've been going for months. This palace is nice. Herod likes us. There's nice food at the palace. They have beautiful beds in the palace. We deserve to settle at the palace. But no. There was no newborn king at the palace. They'd got gifts to take to this king. However comfortable or appeasing the palace was, they decided to move on. And friends, sometimes we may be in a situation where we can think, I'm going to settle for the palace. And God may be saying, don't settle for the palace because you've got a prince to meet. Don't settle at the palace because you've got a prince to meet. For some of us, we might be in situations where God is just saying, keep journeying with me. Keep going. Don't quit. Keep seeking me. Keep pursuing me. Keep making the right choices. Because the palace might look good, but you just wait till you meet the prince. It's even better. If you're doing the right thing in your life, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Because God's got even greater things for you. You see, why couldn't God have made the journey shorter? Why couldn't it have been a couple of weeks? Why did it have to be two years? Well, maybe we'll never know the answer to that. But sometimes things don't happen overnight. And actually, every day, they kept following that star in the sky. They were trusting, not the star, they were trusting the one who had put the star in the sky. And friends, for us, we're on a journey. Sometimes the journey will be brilliant. Sometimes it will just be normal. Sometimes it will be very difficult. And God's just saying, hey, will you trust me? Will you keep following me? Will you keep pursuing me on that journey? Their journey to worship. So we're going to jump back in on the story again from verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. 
Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So I want us to picture the scene. See, we read there that the star stops at a house. The house where Mary is and the child, Jesus, who we believe would probably have been around two years old at this point. Now, Mary was having a normal day. Maybe she'd been cooking. Maybe she'd been cleaning. Maybe she'd been playing with Jesus. And suddenly, there's a knock at the door. Oh, who could that be? Maybe it's someone from the village. Maybe it's Joseph. Maybe it's my neighbour. So Mary goes and she opens the door of her home. In front of her stands what I believe would have been a large group of wise men. What would you have done? What would I have done? Probably shut the door again and then opened it again just to make sure I wasn't dreaming. Surely she would have known, hang on, these wise men have not lost their way. They've not knocked on my door for directions or for a little bit of milk or sugar. I think she would have looked straight at the young child Jesus and thought, this is to do with him. This is because he is the son of God. This is a divine day. This is a day, in fact, that will go down in the history books. And it's incredible. Picture yourself there. Picture yourself. Mary opens the door. She sees this large company of wise men. I think she would open the door wider and beckon them to come in. And as they come in, And as they see the young child, Jesus, what do they do? The first thing they do, the account tells us, is that they fall down on their knees and they worship him. They worship him. They fall down on their knees and they worship You see, these wise men did not enter the home of Mary as wise men. They entered the home of Mary as worshippers. As worshippers. They could have come in and said, let us introduce ourselves. We are of great importance. We have travelled for two long years. We have gifts of much value. No, no. They didn't do any of that. They fell down and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. You see, they gave of themselves before they gave of their gifts. They bought a heart of worship before they bought anything else. So the child, Jesus, 
they offered a heart of worship to Jesus before they offered a treasure chest of gifts. What an incredible account. What an incredible story. What an incredible picture of worship these wise men can teach us even today. They came in not as wise men, but as worshippers to Jesus. And we've read that after they had bowed, after they had bought their heart of worship, that they then gave of their gifts of worship. And the Bible refers to a treasure chest, which would have been the gifts in them, how they transported them. And today, we're just going to have a look for a few moments at their gifts of worship, focusing purely just on the gift of frankincense. So, what is frankincense? Now, I have to be honest with you. Before I started studying for this, I didn't really know a lot about frankincense. Like, we don't go and buy it in Tesco, or, you know, it's a little bit unknown to us. So, we've really got to understand, well, what is it? Before we understand, well, why was it significant? So, here's a bit of a lesson on frankincense. Frankincense in those days was extremely valuable and expensive. Give me an expensive perfume, make, ladies. Shout one out. Chanel number five. Any of us? Angel. Maureen knows her perfumes. We know that. Christian Dior. We can reel off. Well, I believe frankincense would have been of even greater value than some of the perfumes that we place value on today. And frankincense actually came from a tree. It was from a tree resin, and it was a milky white gum, which was obtained from a tree by making incisions, cuts in the bark of the tree, and then allowing that gum to flow out. That was frankincense. And it was used mainly for three purposes in the days of Jesus. Number one, for incense, which we'll come back to in a moment. Number two, for medical treatment. And number three, for perfume, because it smelled absolutely amazing. So why did the wise men give Jesus frankincense. Well, frankincense symbolized worship of God. See, frankincense was highly fragrant. So it was burned during times of worship in the temple because it smelled that wonderful. The fragrant was that amazing. God's people would burn the frankincense in their worship Because as that amazing smell went up to heaven, it was part of their worship. 
It was part of the people wanting to give God a beautiful thing, a beautiful aroma. See, frankincense spoke of the worship of God. And actually, I had a surprise because frankincense was actually mentioned hundreds and hundreds of years ago. For those of you that may want to check this out when you're at home, but actually in Exodus, so right at the beginning of the Bible, in chapter 30, verse 34, God says to Moses, go and get various things, various incenses, and one of those was frankincense, and burn these to me, because they are an offering, they are part of your worship. So, as the wise men gave this gift of frankincense to Jesus, they were bringing their worship to Jesus. But actually, each of the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were gifts that spoke of the future. They weren't just for that time because actually the wise men bought their worship. They bought frankincense, which symbolized worship. But they were indeed saying, we worship you now, but actually in the years to come, people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, for generations to come will worship you too will worship you too. Their frankincense spoke of worship for them then, but actually for us now. And here we are. Look at the person next to you. Here we are, 2,015 years later. And what do we bring? What does God ask us to bring? To bring our worship And I'm going to be coming in to close in a few minutes. But we've looked through this incredible account. We've looked at the wise man. We've thought a little bit about frankincense. But we're sitting here today. And how does this affect your life today? How does this affect my life today? How does this gift of frankincense What does it mean to you and me today? Is it just something from a story, from the Bible, that we can reflect on? Or is there something that we can say, actually, this is for me now. I can pick this up. And this is for me now. You see, I look around, and in our church services, we don't burn frankincense. Maybe in your home and my home, we don't burn frankincense. It's not our way of worshipping God. But actually, what we can learn from these wise men is that actually God still wants your worship. And God still wants my worship. So is that just when we sing songs? Is that just our worship when we're here from half past ten till twelve o'clock? No. 
But it's just a little bit. That's just one jigsaw, one piece in the whole jigsaw. You see, God looks at your life and my life, and he says, I'm not asking you for frankincense. That's already happened. But actually, there's something in your life that I'm just asking you, will you still worship me today? Will you still bring me your worship as those wise men did? And I'm just going to throw out three really simple thoughts which I hope will help. And the first one is that the whole of our life is worship. The whole of it. We get stuck in this thing, mindset that when I go to church and we sing and that's my worship and then I'll go home and then I'll come back again and I might put a CD on at home during the week and that's my worship. But no, the whole of your life is worship. We haven't got any special compartments. We haven't got any, well, this is special and that's not special. The whole of our life is meant to be worship. When we're at home, it's worship. When we're here together, it's worship. When we're at work or we're down the shops or we're with our friends or family, that's worship. The whole of our life. When you're at home, washing up. Who loves the washing up? That can be worship. As you're washing up, you can be saying, God, thank you. Thank you that I've had the food to make these plates dirty, so now I'm washing up. Thank you. That's worship. For you guys that came out on Friday and wrapped the hampers, that was worship. You were doing it for God. You were doing it to bless other people. When you're sitting with a friend and helping them because they're having a hard time and you're just getting them a cup of coffee and treating them and cheering them up, that is worship. When you're cleaning your home and cooking a meal for someone, that is worship. When we come here and we sing together, that is worship. When you're sitting down at home by yourself reading the Bible, That is worship. When you're helping a colleague at work solve the problem that they can't, that is worship. The whole of our life is worship. No special compartments. No special days. It's all worship. And secondly, worship is for every season of our soul. Worship is for always. We don't say, I'm in a worship season in my life. No, we worship all the time, regardless of what's going on in our life. See, God wants us to worship when everything is thumbs up, when everyone likes us and everything is good and we've got enough money and we've got enough friends and we've had the promotion and we're feeling healthy. God wants us to worship them. For those listening on podcasts, our thumbs are now down. But God also wants us to worship when life is tough, 
when there's challenges, when there's people who we love that are sick, when we're struggling financially, when we don't feel like God's listening to the prayers, when we're struggling, when we feel that it's not fair, why has it happened to me? God still says, I want you to worship me. Because worship has got nothing to do with how we feel. It's got nothing to do with our circumstances. It's got nothing to do whether it's a thumbs up or a thumbs down day. It's got everything to do with who he is. And he is good, friends. All the time, he is good. So we worship through every season of our soul because it's got nothing to do with you. It's all about him. So friends, sometimes you'll come in here and you'll feel awesome and you'll want to worship. Sometimes you'll come in here and you'll feel terrible and maybe you'll choose not to worship. Well, I want to challenge us that we live a life of worship in every season. When we come together, friends, let's worship. Despite how we're feeling, despite what's going on, we worship because it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. We worship in every season of our soul. And finally, and this is my last point as we move on to a response, frankincense carried an incredible aroma. When frankincense was burned, you'd smell it. You'd know it. Wow. Someone is burning the frankincense. And friends, for those of us here that love Jesus, for those of us here today that have found Jesus to be real, you know what Jesus wants of your life? In my life. He wants there to be an aroma around our life. An aroma that smells amazing. That as we do life with people that don't yet know Jesus, they will say, what is the smell on that person's life? And it's not Maureen's perfume, what they're referring to, as amazing as it always is. Because there will be something so beautiful, something so different about your life that it will stop people in their tracks and they will say, what is that smell? What is it about David that singles him out in the workplace? What is it about Annie that can still smile if it's a thumbs down day? What is it about Timothy that caused him to be different from everybody else. That they will say, what is that smell on that person's life? And that aroma will be, God's loving you. God's love flowing out of you. God's goodness. God's story of grace flowing out of your life. That people will be drawn to the aroma drawn to the smell over your life 
Does that mean we have to be perfect people? No. Does that mean that we never have to make a mistake? No. It just means we just allow God's grace to flow through our life and we keep on the journey. We keep on the journey of worship. We give God a heart of worship as we let his aroma to flow through our lives. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.